You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hello, I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor for Campus Review. Dr. Con Stavros is the program director for postgraduate marketing and associate professor of marketing at RMIT University. In the lead up to the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, I spoke with Con about what to expect from marketers throughout the games and why this and other similar sporting events appeal to brands and advertisers. Big events are always attractive to uh, advertisers and, uh, and sponsors, particularly these days where it's hard to get people's attention. And uh, live sport tends to do that really, really well. It's uh, one of those uh, things on television or on, on your screen that uh, has to be consumed uh, live and um, can't be transported to a different uh, time or place uh, as easily or, or be consumed in that way. So it creates passion as well, it creates excitement, it creates interest, there's a, a sense of um, nationalism and pride that comes with uh, the way sport is played these days as well and the Olympics embodies all of that really well and there's a little bit of scarcity obviously as well with it, the Summer Olympics and of course the Winter Olympics only coming around every four years so the global scale uh, can be attractive to the to the global brands who can who can actually take advantage of the opportunities that it offers one thing i've noticed uh, as a sports fan is that the olympics tends to have one big brand from each of the the major industries they don't seem to have a lot of conflict is that something that you think that they would have done happened organically or would they have set about doing that intentionally so the, the International Olympic Committee are very good at keeping their sponsors um, very well divided, making sure that there isn't a really real crossover. Uh, in some ways, they revolutionised the sporting world. The, uh, the Olympics brand was having a whole range of issues back in the 1970s, thanks to um, uh, some financial issues uh, with uh, host locations, uh, terrorism of events and uh, political boycotts um, that, that struck them. Uh, in 1984, the Games were held in Los Angeles, and uh, the Americans in some ways uh, rescued the Olympics by giving the uh, the capitalism spin and the attachment to uh, to the great brand of the Olympics itself uh, a real push forward and one of the, the things that came out of that was the Olympic partner program which started in 1988 and essentially allowed the IOC to go out to uh, um, a group of global brands there's always been between nine or twelve of them at any Olympic period there's eleven for instance coming into Rio and they uh, carefully choose those those brands they develop a strategic alliance with them and they make sure that they're in distinct categories so that there isn't any conflict and that's worked out really well for them because rather than having um, you know just two or three brands to rely on or even two or three hundred brands where it starts to dilute the purpose and uh, and the vision that they actually have having that group of nine or twelve brands um, allows them to really maximize the relationship and that those 11 brands at the moment or those 12 brands at the moment are coca-cola atos bridgestone dow general electric mcdonald's amiga panasonic procter and gamble samsung toyota and visa so obviously they're all big players in their respective fields what can a rival brand do in your mind during this period do they have to just uh, suck it up or do can they do things to try and keep their name in the papers as well 
Yeah, so there's uh, there's what they call the worldwide Olympic sponsors, and uh, there's also other sponsors at the, at lower levels. So the Rio organising committee will have a, a group of sponsors, and the national Olympic committees all around the world um, will have their their groups of sponsors as well. So it plays out on a whole range of different levels. That's one of the, the interesting challenges here. If it's the, if it's the global approach, or if it even is just down to one particular region or, or one city, um, the sponsors who've paid, and in the cases of those big worldwide Olympic partners, they've paid tens of millions of dollars, up to up to perhaps 80, 90, 100 million dollars, uh, US dollars, to be the uh, an official sponsor. It's a significant investment, and they not only just have to pay that, they then have to, what we call, leverage or activate that relationship, which means spend uh, an equivalent amount, if not uh, uh, significantly more than that, to try and make sure that people know about the sponsorship and, and, they're, and they're using it to, uh, to gain the value from a marketing point of view that they would like to do. For the rival brands, for the, for the brands in, in those categories that aren't official Olympic sponsors, it is a challenging time because you, you have a couple of options. You can just sit back and say, well, it's 16 days uh, and perhaps a, a week or two uh, afterwards or a week or two before and then of course there's the Paralympic Games that then follow so then there's another period. I can just sit out that period and, and, and save my, my pennies and, uh, and keep them for another day or you can try and do a whole range of different things from perhaps trying to disrupt your, your competitors um, during that period, run your own campaigns, uh, try and create some, uh, some noise uh, that, that brings attention to your, your brand. The, the, the challenging question of course is the legalities of it and um, there's a whole raft of, uh, of rules and regulations as to what's acceptable and, and what's not acceptable. The term that we use for it in marketing is called ambush marketing and, and ambush marketing is, is simply where a, a sponsor um, creates the perception of an alliance with a, a sporting event or, or another event where it doesn't actually officially uh, exist. And that can be tempting sometimes for, for, for firms because they might feel that they want to go close to that line of, of being an ambusher without crossing it. But there's quite a bit of grey there and it, it obviously can lead to trouble if they, they go too far. One of the none of those brands that we mentioned uh, are alcohol or gambling companies, but those two industries will certainly uh, be hoping to you know sell a lot of alcohol or encourage a lot of gambling during the Olympics. And you can you can bet on Olympic events on, on online and at the local tab. Do you, do you have a view about the sort of the prominence of alcohol and gambling advertising in and around Olympics and sporting events in general? Yeah, there's not as much around uh, those particular product categories at the Olympic Games uh, level. Um, they certainly do happen at, uh, at say, team sport uh, around the world. So if you look at, um, say, football or, or the world football, soccer, uh, particularly in Europe, the, um, the gambling industry and um, uh, the alcohol industry in, in many countries um, is strongly tied towards sport. They, they would argue that they've got um, legal products and uh, uh, their sponsorship is uh, of uh, the nature of sports betting, for example, the nature of consuming alcohol while watching sport makes them uh, makes them a good fit. Others would argue that um, that they might be less appropriate because of uh, some of the social problems that might come from the, the products and the categories that they're involved in. Um, as you mentioned, there's no uh, gambling or uh, alcohol sponsor at the at the Olympic Games. Um, uh, the Olympic Games is, a, is an interesting one in terms of, of how the sponsors actually develop that relationship as well, though. Um, if anyone 
anyone's ever been at Olympic Games, they they run what they call clean uh, events, a clean signage. So you walk into an Olympic stadium, you don't actually see the major sponsors um, around the stadium as you normally would at a sporting event. So a lot of the work that needs to be done is done away from the stadium, uh, and that's where the leveraging of the sponsorship becomes really important. The um, the other big global sporting event, the uh, the FIFA World Cup, they do allow signage uh, in the stadium, and, and that perhaps sometimes brings out different types of sponsors or different opportunities. Uh, in in days gone by, it was tobacco advertising used to to fund a lot of Australian sports, and now we see you know as you say a huge amount of gambling and alcohol advertising around the the NRL and the AFL. It's sort of like in Australia, the, the sports tend to cling very much to the sort of the vice products of our society, whereas the Olympics has almost actively eschewed that. Uh, do you think that that's something that is like a conscious decision and something that could could spread to other sports? Um, I wouldn't call them. I wouldn't necessarily say they cling to vice products. I, I think there's a, there's an array of, of sponsors at a, at a range of, of different levels. And um, yes, there are some alcohol sponsors uh, in Australian sport, and uh, and there are some gambling sponsors as well. But there's there's sponsors across a whole range of different categories, from you know telecommunications companies, banking companies, uh, food companies, car companies, etc. So I think there's a there's a really good. Sp- a, a really decent spread. I would imagine most of the sponsorship managers, you know, particularly at their, at their long-time sporting bodies, are, are quite conscious of the portfolio that they actually have and, and what they're what they're putting together. So they they would be you know, very keen to try and have a, a diversity of brands and um, and try and build those relationships. Um, as they do. Now, different countries make different rules. So, for example, in, in France, um, um, alcohol sponsorship is not permitted of sporting teams. So um, that obviously is a, is a rule that, that has to be uh, adhered to. And I guess that needs to be considered on, on, a, on a broader level as to what's acceptable and, and, what's, and what's not acceptable. Certainly with tobacco, they did have a very, very strong uh, and long history uh, with sport. And people often worried that um, when they would leave the sport, who would actually take up the slack would uh, would sporting teams uh, and leagues struggle as a result of it but um, the sky certainly didn't fall in uh, uh, when tobacco left there was plenty of other sponsors to to um, pick up the um, the slack there and um, I would imagine if you know any government started passing rules of you know, different categories weren't allowed there'd be plenty of other sponsors available to uh, to fill the gaps Two of the brands that really strike me as interesting sponsors are McDonald's and Coca-Cola, mostly because I just can't imagine any elite sports people chewing, chowing down on a Big Mac and washing it down with a Coke. It just seems very uh, antithetical to sort of elite athleticism. Do you think that, that there's any? Do you think that's odd, or do you think that people? Uh, do you think that that's something that the Olympics would consider? Um, I, I think I think it depends on how you look at it. Um, keep in mind that at most Olympic um, stadiums, where the, or the Olympic Village itself, there usually is a McDonald's outlet, and there is a, a Coca-Cola is, is being served. And um, from what I've seen, um, the athletes uh, are happy to go there and, and consume those products in, in moderation, so they can be part of the experience. I think for those particular brands, they're not they're not necessarily you know, aiming for the, for the athletes themselves as a target audience. Their broader appeal is to is to consumers in the stadiums and at home um, all around the world. And they would argue that they, they, they sell um, you know, products that fit the, the notion of, of entertainment, of, of watching sport, of being part of a family, lifestyle, um, etc. So um, I, I think they, that, that message is, is kind of difficult. And I know there's been concerns about um, you know, a whole range of different products and, and, and 
perhaps the perceptions that don't necessarily fit with sport. But I think Coca-Cola McDonald's have been long-time sponsors of a whole variety of, of different sports. And they're, they're well aware, I think, of their own, of those concerns and, and their responsibilities that they have. And I certainly think that, um, I don't think the Olympic Games would have too much of a problem with, with two global brands like that.